Well, I want to thank you guys for coming. We are uh, continuing this series about reigning in life. Thank you. <laughs>
you misconstrue what's right in front of you as being more real than what God is saying, you are captive. John 8 says, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. When Jesus set captives free, it was with truth. There we go. So the captives are held captive to a lie. I'm going to go one more verse. 2 Corinthians says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So the war of our mind, the war of what we believe, whether it's because we chose to believe it or because it was taught to us, it's really not quite important. But one of the, one of the common ways that it happens is, and, and I think everybody will probably be able to test to this, one of the ways that we believe a lie is someone hurts us and something shifts inside of us and we make a vow. How many of you guys have ever said, I will never be like that person? I mean, raise, seriously, raise your hand. If you've ever said, I will never be like that. Have you ever said, I will never trust that person again? Or I will never be like this ministry? Or a God, I will never believe this. And you set this boundary. And what ends up happening is you have just become captive. You've just started believing a lie. Because when you make this vow, you're setting something in front of you that's not reality. You're setting something in front of you that you have made more real than what God is. And the problem is, I think a lot of people spend their whole lives reacting to who they don't want to be instead of responding to the call of God on their lives. And when you, what you respond to, what you react to, is what controls you. So, so often when we get hurt somebody, by somebody, we make this vow, and it shifts our actions, it shifts our behaviors, it shifts what's in front of us. A story that I think brings a lot of sense to this is the story of Jacob and the sheep and the goats with Laban. So, Jacob's father-in-law, Laban, continually was taking advantage of him, and just he was a real used car salesman, swindler, just not a great guy. And so... Jacob makes this deal with him and says, all right, look, I'll take all the, the spotted goats and sheep, and you take everything else, and, that, and that's it. And at the time, there were very few, and they were all weak, and so Laban's like, hey, great idea. But then Laban goes one step further, and in the middle of the night, he takes all the spotted goats and sheep and gives them to his sons and sends them away. So they make the deal, and then Laban pulls him out from under his feet. So what Jacob does is when he's tending Laban's flocks, he carves up these twigs, these sticks, so that you could see the white. He makes the sticks speckled and spotted. And he puts them in the water where the, where the strong sheep are drinking. And what do they do? They produce offspring that are speckled and spotted. What's put in front of them is what becomes manifest out of their lives. And when we believe a lie, whether it's a lie based on what somebody else, somebody, somebody, something somebody has done to us, or whether it's a lie about who God is or about our nature, it becomes something that's in front of us. It becomes something that beget, gets manifest in our lives. I used to believe 
very strongly when I was young that I wasn't necessary or valuable. I believed that I was just kind of an add-on anywhere I went. I was just, you know, really not bringing anything of value in my relationships. And by believing that, by believing that people just kind of tolerated me at best, I became very self-focused, and that actually disabled me from bringing life to people in a lot of situations where they could have used it. But it also disabled me from receiving life from people in a lot of situations where I could have used it. And at some point in my early 20s, I began to make a shift in my mental perception of myself as I grew in Christ. My new motto became, wherever I am, that's where the party is. I know it's pretty hard to believe a cocky 20-year-old. But the reality of this mindset was I truly believed that God was with me. And if the presence of God is with me, if the Spirit of God is with me, then wherever I am, I have something of value. I'm worth being around. It doesn't mean I'm the most important in the room, person in the room. It doesn't mean that, that it's not a pride thing. It's just a, I have something worthwhile. There's a reason I'm here. And that's where the party is. The party can start now. So... The thing is, though, I didn't need that validation from other people. It's not where I am, that's where the party is, if you guys agree. It didn't have to do with acceptance. The thing is, when you bring something of value, if you have something of value, you don't need other people to tell you it's a value. You don't need someone to affirm, yes, that's valuable. I want you to imagine, imagine if your words, if every word you spoke was worth a dollar. How would that change how you speak? If you knew your words were valuable and every word that you spoke cost you a dollar, how, what do you got? Somebody say something. How would, how would that change how you speak? You, or as much. Would you, yeah. And if that money was automatically debited from your bank account at the end of every night, would you need somebody to tell you, man, your words are valuable, your words are important? You just tally up your bank account at the end of the day. In the same way, if I'm bringing something of value, I don't need to throw all of my words around and try to get people to validate me. If, I, if my words are of value, then when they can make an impact, I'm going to speak. And when they're not going to make an impact, I don't need to speak. I'm not looking for validation or approval. Whatever the lie is, we have to figure out what it is, first of all, and then figure out how to overcome it and how to get rid of it. Whether it's a lie that you believe about yourself, or whether it's a lie that you believe that God is angry, or whether it's a lie that, that you will never be like your mom, or never be like your dad, or never be like this ministry that wounded you, or this leader that wounded you, and then you slowly start to become more like them because that's what's set before you. We've got to be able to discern what are the lies and how do they impact us. I'm going to come back to that, but I want to go to the, to the next set, which is the prisoners. So in Matthew chapter 18... Actually, I'm going to start back. I was at another church a while back, and um, they'd gone through a traumatic event, 
and there was a lady that they brought in to speak. And she went through a, what I would call some very interesting theological gymnastics to show that you don't need to forgive somebody if they don't apologize. If somebody doesn't repent, she had said, that you don't have to forgive them biblically. And she, and she tried to show this, and she had a book about it. And I'll be honest, she was very convincing. The whole point was to honor the person who had been sinned against and that God wanted to honor people who had been sinned against and who had been wounded. And he did that through providing them this out. You don't need to forgive somebody if they haven't repented. And she, she showed all the verses that, that proved it. The problem is you can't drink poison and expect it's going to hurt somebody else. And no matter how we paint it, have any of you ever benefited from not forgiving somebody? Because if so, I'd really like to hear about how that looked. Unforgiveness is a poison. It's something that gets into your bones. And I can tell you from experience, it colors not just that person, but it colors other people around you. It colors how you respond in life. Again, it colors how you view yourself. Because if you have unforgiveness towards somebody, then you are so wounded by what they did to you that it's constantly in front of you. And you begin to think, well, maybe I deserved what they did to me. Or I don't deserve what they did to me. I, you know, you get stuck in this swirl of things that just lead to death. And I've had people in my life that I've had to work for years to forgive. I've had people, you know, where, where you just get stuck on it. But getting free from that is so important. And here's why. In Matthew 18, Peter comes up, and I love that the Peter says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How often do I have to forgive somebody who sins against me? And I love that the most offensive person on the team is the one asking this question. And Jesus said to him, he said, do I need to do it seven times? And Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, and then he goes into a parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Sounds familiar. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Who puts him in prison? 
who, who put him in prison? Who's, who's the king? It's not a trick question. Who, who, it's not a trick question. Who, who's the king in this parable? God. Is that theologically right? Jesus got, Jesus, you got bad theology here. I don't, I don't think this is right. Jesus just said, my heavenly father will put you in prison if you don't forgive Why? Why would God put somebody in prison? Redemption. Sometimes, have you ever been in a situation where you know you're doing the wrong thing, but you just like it, and you just keep doing it until it starts to hurt? And then it starts to hurt real bad, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's what's happening here. God is so merciful in dealing with our hearts when we are in unforgiveness that he will actually let us walk through torment internally. He will let us walk in prison until we reach that place of forgiveness because if we don't, that poison will spread and spread and spread and impact everybody around you. When you see somebody who is bitter and angry, that unforgiveness has spread into their lives so much that it impacts, you don't want to talk to them. You don't want to be around them. I mean, think about somebody at the end of their life who has spent their life letting that unforgiveness fester and turn into something where they are just bitter. And they're hard to be around. If it if it was if it felt good to walk in unforgiveness we'd be a, we'd all be in that situation so think about this the lies that we believe we're taken captive when the enemy gets a lie in our heads the enemy the devil is the one that says did god really say did he really say you're forgiven did he really say you're the son of god did he really say don't eat from that tree he's called the deceiver and so a lie gets lodged in us, and all of a sudden, our walk with God is held captive. All of a sudden, your authority is gone because you're not able to walk into everything you're created to be. And when we walk in unforgiveness, a similar thing happens. You get taken prisoner, and all of a sudden, where you had influence, it dries up. I want to encourage you, if you have felt stuck, if you have felt like your forward momentum has stopped. It could very well be that there's a lie somewhere in there or that there's unforgiveness somewhere in there. The thing is, we don't always know. You're not always aware right away when this is there. And that if you just keep going about busy life and don't take stock of yourself, you might just stay captive. But that's not what he wants for us. Forgiveness isn't optional. Freely we've been forgiven, so freely we forgive. We've been forgiven out of freedom, so out of our freedom we forgive. There is no way to be free and harbor unforgiveness. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, and I think this kind of encompasses a lot of these pieces, is the story of David. 
when David faces Goliath, like we talked about last week, he is not believing the lie that's right in front of him. The lie that's right in front of him that everybody else thinks is the truth is Goliath is stinking huge and he's going to kill anybody who comes at, at, at him. That is the clear and present, like, it's like you don't take on a nuke with your bare hands, David. This is a giant. <laughs> he's got a spear that five of us couldn't lift together. But it was the lie. It was what's right obvious in front of him, but that was the lie, and David chose not to believe it. Guess what other lies David chose not to believe? He had brothers and a father that said, you're worthless. The prophet comes. That's a, that's a time of honor when the prophet visits your home, but we don't need to call David. He's out with the sheep. My sons are here. Oh, oh I have one more son, I guess. Come on, how easy would it be to harbor unforgiveness in that situation? How easy would it be to believe a lie that I am stinking worthless? And it doesn't matter. Like, how many of us, when we walk in there and Samuel pours the oil on your head and you're like, wow, this is great, but I suck. There's no, this, is, this is a mistake, sorry, and just walk away. That's what I would have done, honestly. I would have been like, yeah, this is cool. Yeah, I'm getting honor in front of my family. But as soon as that prophet walked out the door... I would have felt worse than I did before because of the lie. You're not valuable. You're worthless. You don't bring anything of value. And this is an amazing guy because how did he, I'm going to get to this, but how did he do that is a question. How did he walk in this authority where when the king, the, the first person that treated him other than Samuel as if he was worth anything, Saul says, come live in my palace. You're going to serve me. This is fantastic. I've heard you play music. You're awesome. And David's like, finally, I have a mentor. I don't know about you guys, but if you've ever been in that position where you're just like, I just want someone to teach me. I want someone to mentor me. And David knows he's going to be king. And guess what? The king is calling him to mentor him. And the king doesn't even know David's going to be king. Woohoo! This is perfect. God, you're awesome. And then the king starts chucking spears at him. And yet he walks away, and when he has a chance to chuck a spear back, he doesn't take it. Even though he's got 50 men around him saying, do it, do it, do it. And he doesn't do it. Because he's not willing to believe the lie, and he's not willing to walk in unforgiveness. Guys, I know that most of us hit points, and maybe you're there now, where you've got some sort of an ache in here. And maybe you're just too busy to think about it, or maybe it haunts you every day. And I just want to encourage you that that pain, the wounding, the fear, the stress, whatever it is, that is not normal. We go through our lives, and one of the, one of the biggest lies we believe is that this is just how things are. Being a captive, being a prisoner, that's just how I am, and it's not normal. It's not who we were made to be. It's not kingdom. What can happen is these ideas can enter into a symbiotic relationship with each other and you get stuck and you just find yourself not able to forgive somebody. That might be because you're believing a lie or you get stuck with this lie and you just can't get past it. It might be because there's somebody you need to forgive. God is a God who 
took captives and set them free and set free the prisoners. It, it, when it's, we're reading these verses, when he rose from the dead, that's when this happened. It's not this will happen someday. It happened already. The captives have been set free. The prisoners have been released. And I love that when Jesus reads this verse, he's saying, I'm here to proclaim the day of the Lord's favor. End of story. Drop the mic. Like, he doesn't read the rest. That's it. That's the point. So we don't have to live under those things. I love in Acts, and and there's a couple things in Acts lately that are killing me, so I'm so glad we're going to be moving into this. So I'm cutting a little bit into Acts 3, whoever's doing that one, sorry. It says, And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gates. I'm a four. I really love that word, just the Beautiful Gate. That just gives me warm fuzzies. Anyway, side note. So he's laid there to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, just like he does with everybody. There's a progression here that I'm really digging into. This is one of the ways that God brings healing to us. It says, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something. I want to emphasize that phrase if I didn't enough. He looked at them. He fixed his eyes on Peter and John, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. When God brings healing, sometimes it requires us to step out and try what didn't work before the healing comes. It says, he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. It doesn't say his feet and ankles were made strong, so he rose and stood up. It's the opposite order. And I think it's interesting. Now here's another piece that I want to I pull out here. It might be easy to assume that God just said to Peter and John, you have the anointing, now say this and do this. We have to stop making assumptions about what's not written in these verses and read what's actually here. It doesn't say that he checked with God and said, let me check and see if I have the anointing. Yep, okay, I got it. It just says, I don't have silver and gold, I have this. It wasn't, let me see if I have this. I have this. He had what that man needed. That man didn't need money. He needed to walk. And he had it. But that man had to be willing to take him by the hand and actually be pulled up. When we go for our healing, when we pursue God for it, when we work out forgiveness, or when we try to figure out what the lie is, there's a leap of faith that we have to take. We have to be willing to test out, is this actually going to work in our hearts? Is that making sense? you got to test out, like, have I forgiven? Am, is this lie still there? Okay, so if the lie is 
fear or if the lie is stress, you might need to get back in a fearful or stressful situation to see. You might be willing to go back into the room that you're terrified to go into, and then it goes. It's like Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. Have you guys seen that movie? One of my favorite scenes in that movie is, is what's it called? The Leap from the Lion's Head. And he's got to take a leap out into, he can't see. There's nothing in front of him, just a chasm. And he puts his foot out, and he's got to be willing to trust God. It's not what I see. It's not what's right in front of me. What's in front of me is death. But I'm going to be willing to believe that I'll be caught. And he steps, and there's solid ground. And then when he's further on it, his perspective changes, and then he can see it. It's so important that we get God's perspective. And I want to tell you guys, I can't overemphasize the importance of even if you feel like you're okay, even if you feel like there's, I don't have that ache, I don't know what you're talking about, I feel fine. We've got to bring our hearts before God and say, investigate my life, see if there's any wrong way in me. I'm not saying that we go digging, you know, for dirt in ourselves and trying to like nitpick and, and, you know, find, you know. No, I'm just saying just bring your heart before God and say, hey, am I okay? Am I believing any lies? Am I, am I not forgiving anyone? Is there something, some area of my life where I'm not fully living out the calling and the, the giftings you've given me? We've got to do that repeatedly. Um, D.L. Moody was once asked why he urged Christians to be filled constantly with the Holy Spirit. And he said, why did he say? Because I leak. We leak. So why do we need to go back and get healing? Because life is hard and things get flung at you. It's like going through the monkey cages at the zoo, like you're going to get flung at. And you might not realize you got some on your back. You got to go check. You got to get somebody to help. And sometimes it's good to get that mirror of God. And sometimes it's good to get that mirror of another person. Sometimes you got to ask somebody, is there something, is there some place where I'm not forgiving? Or is there some place where I'm living out a lie? Like, what are the lies I'm believing? We got to ask God, but how helpful is it sometimes to ask somebody else and say, have you noticed any lies that you think I'm believing? Oh, well, yeah, but I was afraid to tell you. Do you want to get free? If you do, are you willing to do this on a repeated basis? Are you willing to check in and make sure your heart is good? Here's the thing. This is, this is a really, really easy process, okay? You want to know if you have a lie? Ask God. You want to know if you haven't forgiven somebody? Ask God. He'll tell you. Who want, nobody wants you to be free more than he does. Nobody. He's the one who led the captives in his train. So ask him, am I a captive? Okay, lead me out. Here's the thing. When we hit a stasis in life where things are, are fairly balanced and we feel okay, it's really uncomfortable to let your entire view of yourself and the world shift and be willing to think, I might be thinking completely wrong about you, God. I might be thinking completely wrong about me. 
I might be acting out of things that I don't realize are there. It's uncomfortable to put yourself in that situation where your identity can be that shaken. But we have to do it. Because our reality can only be shaped, should only be shaped by him. If we're just looking at what's in front of us and what's become normal, that's how you become like Israel. That's how Goliath becomes so terrifying in the first place. And it didn't happen all at once because they did some crazy stuff before Goliath. But all of a sudden, little bit by little bit, they stopped checking in. And they hit equilibrium. And everything was fine until this guy showed up. No, it actually went wrong way earlier when they didn't realize they were believing a lie. So I want to practice this. I'm going to have everybody close your eyes. And I want you to out loud ask God. So just after me, Father God, what lies am I believing? And then listen for what he's going to say. Pause you real quick. How many, how many of you had your mind jump to something? Raise your hand. Look, at, no, way high, hands high. I want you to look around. Did you know he speaks? <laughs> if you didn't hear, just try again. Let's try this one more time. Close your eyes. Father God, who do I need to forgive? Thank you, baby. I felt that forgiveness. Kath just forgave me. Isn't this good? Listen, it's easy. It's easy. And if you don't want to do all this by yourself, do it with somebody else. Again, that's why we have Sozo. It's a simple, it's just that simple. It's just asking God to speak. So when we talk about reigning in life, you want to get back that perspective of David. You want to get back that, that giant is a tiny cockroach perspective. Let's get out the lies. Let's get out the unforgiveness. This is what Gary meant when he talked about cleaning out our homes, when he gave us that word about houses of acts. It's just that simple. Listen, guys, it's not, it, this is not about, oh, we're all sinners, and you need to get right with God, and you need to get lust out of your home. and you need, you, this, That's not what it's about. It's just let him make you more like him. Just root, if you get the roots the tree dies. You don't need to tear apart every branch and every apple. Just get the roots. If you root out 
unforgiveness and the lies that you're walking in, we are designed to encounter the glory of God. And when we behold the glory of God, we become more like the glory of God. When Moses beheld God, he came down from the mountain shining so bright he had to wear a veil. We become what we behold, and but we cannot behold with clear faces and eyes if we are holding on to things like lies and unforgiveness. So I want to close this out in prayer. God, we just thank you that you are the God who led the captives free. You are the God who unlocks the door and releases the prisoners. God, we thank you that you see us and see reality in ways that we can't even comprehend most of the time. But God, we ask that you would open our eyes, just like Elisha's servant, that you would open our eyes to see the reality of the spiritual world around us. God, let us see our circumstances the way that you see them. Let us see you, Father, as you truly are. I pray that our minds would be opened to experience the greatness of who you are, that you would show yourself bigger than the boxes that we've put you in, God. I pray right now that you would burst out of every box in our minds that we have placed you inside of, God. And God, I pray that you would continue, God, I just ask that you would continue to reveal to us where we have held on to unforgiveness and stayed locked up, where we have not released people and been ensnared because of it. And God, show us where the enemy has just tripped us up with a lie, where he's spoken a word that we just caught on to, whether it was spoken directly through him or through somebody else. God, the lies that we believed because of how somebody else treated us, will you reveal those things? Will you highlight those things in our mind? And will you release us from those? God, I pray in the name of Jesus that each person in this room would be imbued with more of your power more of your power to walk out, God, your resurrection life, and more of your power to bring kingdom everywhere their foot touches, that you would take away anything that hinders their ability to be bringers of your life and your kingdom. God, we love you. We want to behold you. We want to see you. Just pray, God. Open our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen.